0: Good morning, church. Well, it's certainly good to be here this morning. Um, you've heard it said that it is track conference Sunday, the only Sunday in the year where pastors are sent to preach elsewhere, kind of like a exchange pulpit program. And uh, this morning, it is an honor for me to be here. Uh, I must say, to preach at your traditional service is not easy, especially when it starts at 7:30 a.m. So I'm gonna ask you to help me. Um, please lend me your strength and your attention so that I can press on and later on at eleven thirty and also at five PM. Uh is I don't know how your pastors do it. Uh you know, I I think you must appreciate your pastors more often. Shall we appreciate them? Can I have the picture in picture? Thank you. You know, one of the things that you can tell a church is really um, well-organized and well-run is when you have a team of pastors, when your PIC, your pastor in church, is not around, things still continue, and that is actually a very good sign. So, Pastor Raymond must be doing a very good job. You know, I hope that when you see him next time, you tell him, PIC, good job! Alright, just do that, encourage him. Now, before I begin, I bring you greetings on behalf of our track president, Reverend Stanley Chua, your former PIC, And also, I bring you greetings from the other sister churches uh, in our conference. And also, I bring you greetings from Christ Methodist Church, where where I'm currently pastoring. Now, from your website, I understand that the direction for 2023 is discipleship in the family, as you desire to build stronger families and be a more cohesive and welcoming church family. And to prepare for today's sermon... I had looked at your vision statement, and it says this, We at Wesley Methodist Church um, seek to glorify God in Jesus Christ by loving Him, by loving one another, and by loving our neighbours as ourselves. Now, clearly, we have received the clarion call to rise up to be a church call to make disciples in the church, at home, at work, and in society. A place where we truly believe that everyone is a disciple and a discipler. Alright? A discipler is one who one who makes disciples. And and you know, this is a place. Wesley Methodist Church is a place where we truly believe that everyone is a disciple and a discipler. A place where we truly desire to know God more and to make Him known. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor is talking about me. Alright, now I have titled today's sermon as Are You a Friend? And will focus on helping us take the next step towards this vision. Now at Christ Methodist Church, um, you know, our CG ministry, our care group ministry, uh, we have this tagline that holds us accountable as a disciple-making church. And that is, before discipleship, there must be relationship. To make disciples, we must first be interested in the lives of others making disciples you know it's not a spiritual kpi we have to fulfill just because we are told to do so but we do it because we love the lord before discipleship there must be relationship and for relationships to blossom it starts with friendship friendship Now, whether we realize it or not, um, all of us need significant people in our lives. We need significant friends in our life. People who will bless us, accompany us, guide us, help us, protect us, relate to us, sharpen us, shield us, support us, teach us, and understand us. True friends will do things with our best interests at heart. They understand our silence. They understand our moods. You know, they know everything about us. Our good side, our bad side, our ugly side, our smelly side. And yet, they still choose to love and support us. Now, many of us are here, you know, we have different definitions of, you know, our, our understanding of what is a friend. You know, we have heard many definitions of friend. Now, the one that has resonated with me is this. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Now, how many of us can say that we have such a friend? Now, today I want to assure everyone that we do indeed have such a friend and his name is Jesus. But friendship with God is not a one-way relationship where we are always on the receiving end. And while we sing the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, can Jesus say the same of us? Can Jesus say, what a friend I have in Pastor Genwad? What a friend I have in Danny? What a friend I have in Edwin? Can Jesus say, what a friend I have in, insert your own name. Now, so for today's sermon, I want us to ponder over two questions. First, first thing first, are we a friend of God? And second, are we a friend of friends? Two-point sermon, alright? So what does it take to be a friend of God? Broadly put, faith without works is dead. And what does it take to be a friend of friends? I'll put it this way, love without works is dead. Now let us first look at what it takes to be a friend of God. Now while Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 and 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20 verse 7 briefly mention Abraham as God's friend, uh, for this morning we're going to turn to the book of James chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 to 24 to uncover why Abraham was considered a friend of God. Now, before we do that, let us pray in unison the prayer for illumination. One voice. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to James chapter two. If not, you can look to the screen. Um, if I'm going to encourage all of you, if you have your physical Bibles, bring it to church with you, uh, not to chop table for luncher, uh, uh, but to you know some this this thing doesn't break down. Early on in the service, my keynote just went off, and this this tells us you know when we put our hope and trust and faith in electronic gadgets, they will fail you, but this stands forever, no need battery one. You, you know, so I think there's something for us to to be mindful of, alright? So listen to these words taken from James chapter 2. I'm going to start with from verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, it's useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works or by works? Faith was made complete or perfect. That's what the scripture text has reflected. 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says... Abraham believed God and he was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I'm going to stop the reading here. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So what did Abraham do? And why was he considered a friend of God? To help us unpack and understand this, we need to turn To the book of Genesis If you have to start flipping your Bible For the book of Genesis You are in trouble Alright, that's the first book in the Bible Alright, now I'm just going to give you a very quick run through Of certain key chapters in Genesis Now starting from Genesis 12 We can say that Abraham Was a friend of God because he obeyed For Abraham so loved God That he moved and relocated in obedience When God instructed him to do so Abraham's obedience is active, not passive. Many a times we know what needs to be done. We go, uh huh, Lord, yes, I hear you. And then after service, after benediction, you cannot remember. Alright, we are passive listeners. No, we got to be not only hearers of the words, but doers of the word. And if we turn to Genesis 15, we can say that Abraham was a friend of God because he believed. In Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, What good are your blessings when I am without children? Who will inherit them? And it was then, God told Abraham that his offsprings will be more than the stars in the heaven. And Abraham believed. For Abraham so loved God that he believed in the promises of God which accounted for for his righteousness genesis 15 the second part of verse 6 tells us that now in genesis 17 god changed abraham's name from abram to abraham for he will become the father of many nations but at that point abraham laughed to himself how is this possible now that he, he, he is 100 and sarah is 90. and that was when abraham asked if god will bless ishmael the son that Hagar, uh, Sarah's ma- maidservant, bore him. God said, yes, but he, Abraham, will have his very own son named Isaac to fulfill the covenantal promise. And in Genesis 21, the impossible took place. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son and named him Isaac, meaning one who loves or rejoices. Now as we come to Genesis 22, a pivotal chapter in Abraham's life, God said to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. While there was no mention or record of Abraham's emotions for the night, I am sure it wasn't easy for him. Scripture tells us in verse 3, that Abraham rose early in the morning. Confirmed cannot sleep one. That's why he wake up early. Alright, I mean God, finally you have a son. And God said, take the son God sacrifice. Tell me who can sleep. Alright, if you can sleep, you're really not a human being. And you know, some of this is a father. Okay, the father's heart. Can you imagine it wasn't easy for him and he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now it was a three-day journey. When they reached their destination, Abraham said to the two helpers, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, I want to call your attention to this part of the verse. Abraham used the word we, believing that both will return even though he was instructed to sacrifice Isaac. This speaks volumes about his trust and faith in God and God's promises that Isaac will be the one through which God's covenantal promise would be fulfilled. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. The poor poor boy bore the wood of the burnt offering upon himself. You know, whenever I read this verse, I'll think of Jesus who carried the cross himself. And it must have broken Abraham's heart when Isaac finally asked, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? But Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. I believe that very moment, all the angels held their breath. Is he really going to do it? But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So Abraham said, here I am. I am so glad that Abraham's hearing was still intact for his age. Can you imagine... The angel go, Abraham, Abraham. Ha, ha, see me. You cannot hear. Pop. boom. What do you say? Habes. Entire Genesis is R-rated. Cannot be included. I'm so glad he could hear. It tells us he has a close walk with the Lord. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. In the mouth of the Lord it shall be provided. And this is where we get the word Jehovah Jireh from. Alright, it's from this verse. Now church, Abraham was a friend of God because he obeyed. Abraham was a friend of God because he believed. Abraham was a friend of God because he acted on his faith. For Abraham so loved God that he is willing to sacrifice his one and only son. Now the question we need to ask ourselves is this. If God is all-knowing, why did God say in verse 12, For now I know that you fear me since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. If God is all-knowing, how come God don't know about this? Now, God knows that Abraham loves him, but Abraham's action in faithful obedience confirmed for the Lord Abraham's faith in him. And God was able to witness Abraham's faith in action. But why is it important for us to understand the significance of being a friend of God now this is something very precious and I want us never to take our relationship with God for granted every time when we come to church why are we here? I'm here because I'm used to coming here, that cannot be you are here because you love the Lord and you're here to receive a word from Him and I pray that this word will transform and change us with a renewal of our minds so that we will go out go out of this place different the way we came in this morning We are here to love the Lord. But you don't just love God passively. Things need to be done. And I want us to important that it is of great significance for us to understand why is it so precious that we are considered a friend of God. Now, we must remember that friendship with God is not something we can initiate on our own. Our friendship with God is first a divine privilege that God in His great love for us has extended of us. Now church, like it or not, none of us have the right to come before God, even if it is to worship Him, because God is holy and we are not holy. And a holy God and an unholy people cannot be in the same place. But God chose to to initiate this friendship with us because He is our Heavenly Father. He is our Creator and He loves us. And John 3.16 is just that reminder that I hope we will never take this verse for granted. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. While God spared Abraham's son, God did not spare His own Son. God did not just sit in the comfort of His heavenly throne, having a discussion with Jesus and the Holy Spirit about how much He loves the world. He demonstrated that love for us, so that the ministry of reconciliation between an unholy people and a holy God can take place. This is known as a divine exchange. We are here today and we can gather and stand on holy ground because Jesus made it possible for us to be in God's presence. And God sent Jesus because God wants us to know that He considered us His friends as well. And this is precious. Please do not waste this. All right, please do not waste this. Now church, if we want to be a friend of God, telling God that we love Him, we adore Him, and we desire to worship Him, with no visible outward Christian action of loving others, with no visible corrective action of wanting to be a better person, then our faith, as what James has described, is dead. It's useless. Did Jesus not say, You are my friends if you do what I command. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And what I have commanded is for you to love one another selflessly. You know, sometimes we focus too much on the studying of the Word. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we focus too much on the studying of the Word and not the living of the Word. Sometimes we focus too much on the act of worshipping God alone and not the act of loving God. You know, corporate worship can become ritualistic without a heart of worship. Our church Cannot be an organized religion where our focus is more on you know it's on more more on the production than on God's presence. Perhaps it is time to strip away things that are unnecessarily distracting in our worship of God. Perhaps we need to go back to the basics, the barebone heart of worship. You know, sometimes we layer too many things in our worship services just to look professional as a church. Our production is top-notch, but what about God's presence? Are we making room for God to move right here, right now? Wesley Methodist Church, is this a place where we make room for God to move? Shouldn't we hunger for God's presence more than perfection, more than production, more than performance? seriously i am worried when churches blindly or copy blindly are the worship trends and hypes of celebrity churches that we see on social media while we are in no position to judge others let us strive at wesley methodist church to do what the lord has directed us to do and that is to be right with him and to be right with all people so let us worship god with a heart of worship now it does not matter if we can sing or not It could be out of tune. It does not matter because I truly believe that our God, as perfect as He is, is tone deaf. I know some of us here cannot sing. And every time you sing, you irritate the person next to you. Because your pitch is off, your your timing is off. But let me tell you this, when you sing from your heart, the Lord will receive it as the sweetest tune that He has ever heard. It's okay if you annoy your neighbor. It's better to annoy your neighbor, but please the Lord. Alright, so later on, um, if you can, just sing. Alright, just sing. Give it to the Praise Him. One voice, one heart, one people. Well, I want to sing one nation, one Singapore. Alright, you know, I think it's important for us to do that. You know, if you sing from your heart, the Lord will receive it as the sweetest tune He has ever heard. This is our God. And His nature is love. He loves us. Alright, and I'm going to move on to the second part of the sermon. So what does it take to be a friend of friends? Now, to be a friend of God, as, as, as I shared earlier on, faith without works is dead. To be a friend of friends, love without works is dead. Now, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. Now, let me start by asking you this. Are we a blood-sucking or life-giving friend? Take a good look at the people around you. Are they looking pale? If yes, better check if you have been behaving like a vampire. Dracula! You know, some people have the tendency to suck others dry with their need for attention and to always be on the receiving end. And to make things worse. Some of these friends uh, are Christians who use the scripture against us. The moment it's like, you know, I've heard your story 300 times. They say, wow, well, you're not loving. Uh. Wow, well, you're not Christian-y. Uh. Well, you're not Christ-like. Uh. You're not gracious. Uh. You're not like Jesus. Uh. You know, they start doing that. But these people will never look at the mirror. Because vampires, from what the movies tells us, cannot see themselves in the mirror. Now, let me tell you this. Sometimes people behave the way they do because they're going through very, very difficult situations. Sometimes, I know in your small groups or care group, CG, um, you know, when you gather as a group, parents with special needs kids, they do struggle a lot. And it may be the same story to you every time you gather, but it's something they go through every day it's not easy so if you have friends like that please understand some of are some of them are really struggling be gracious pray for them this is what you can do as to be a friend of friends and if you love god learn to pray for these people and don't just you know brush them off i know you could almost you know repeat the story word for word whatever they say but be patient sometimes people struggle at work sometimes they have difficult siblings difficult parents We don't understand sometimes they have children who has gone wayward and they are in pain they're in grief you know some of us our families are perfect you know and then we don't understand those who are struggling so i think that if your family is is okay your kids are doing well you praise god but i think it's time for you to also pray for those who are not doing so well and this is what it means to be a church all right now if you seated here this morning you are not if you are unsure of your vampiric status, I urge you to ask around. Ask your friend, am I a vampire? Huh? Okay, ask. But make sure you give people the license to speak. Huh? Because if somebody tell you, hey, you really a vampire. Why you say me like that? You don't do that. Huh? Okay, please. Give people the license to be a truth teller so that you can work on being a better person for the Lord. You no know, true friends will stand up, speak up, protect and defend. They are not keyboard warriors. They don't hide behind an email or WhatsApp text. All right, True friends accept us for who we are but they will also correct us when we are wrong or heading down the wrong path. True friends are not blind flatterers who exist just to feed our egos, allowing others to continue when things are not right. You know, sometimes we think of it as some form of sacrificial or unconditional love. But let me tell you this church It is not always a good thing If it is wrong You need to call out the wrong And speak the truth in love Sometimes as parents We allow our children to do certain things We know it is wrong But because we love them We shield them We cover for them We protect them Let me tell you this You are sowing a seed That is going to You know Get into something That is going to be terrible later on Start right So you end well This is important Alright It's not always a good thing to just cover up or not speak the truth in love. You know, in doing so, sometimes when we cover for people and we allow certain things to happen, we are not helping the person mature in ways with a healthy foundation that will see them through the storms of life. So one of the things we can do to spur each other on is to set up an accountability system where we are given the rights to examine each other's lives through a biblical God-centric view to ensure that everyone is right on track. And that is the basis of intentional discipleship. While many of us, unfortunately, while many of us would love to have such a support system, not many of us are willing to invest the time to support others. Sadly, technology and social media have made it easier for us to connect with a greater disconnect. Easier and faster access to worship services and the Word of God, you know, have made us microwave Christians. What is a microwave Christian? You know, when you heat up food in a microwave, fast to hot, fast to cold. Correct or not? You heat it up, it it, it heats up fast, but it turns cold just as fast. We need to bring back the good old thing and be a charcoal Christian. Slow to fire up, but you keep the heat there. Someone got walk here. I think it's important, alright? This is important. Now my friends, true friendship with God, with one another, takes time to establish. It can be demanding, but it only takes a spark to get the fire going. It takes the spark of a willing person to get the fire going And as we gather each week To worship the Lord Let us think about what gifts Can we bring to God as His friend And what gifts can we Bring to each other as a friend Of God You know, In my preparation for today's sermon The Lord has impressed upon my heart That it is time for God's children To live out their love for Him By passing it on Now remember this Wesley Methodist Church seeks to glorify God in Jesus Christ by loving Him, by loving one another, and by loving our neighbours as ourselves. Let us glorify God with our discipleship. And even if things seem gloomy, do not give up believing. Because the best is yet to be. To God be all glory. Amén.